Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And you read one more book, am I right, PJ? I did. I read The Essence of an Hour by Suzanne Ferber. Um, she is, Susan Ferber is an American author who moved to, who moved to England uh, when she was 19, I believe. And uh, she's just as old as Austin. She was born mm-hmm. in 1992. And I found that very interesting because she writes, the story is set in 1941. And it describes the, let's say, the last summer of American innocence, as is, as is written in the back, of the 18-year-old Lily Corrigan, who's a, who's a second-generational um, Irish-American um, uh, young woman, well, girl, essentially. And he just grows up on this island close to New York, and, um, but really it's a very secluded little area. And she's going to a Catholic school and it begins with her going to a party, actually. And in the party, she's not a likable character, I have to find. I didn't find it necessarily easy, actually, to, um, to read at first, to be honest. Um, it took me a while and then I really got into it. But let me describe first. So at the beginning, okay. it's a bit... Like, I'm just wondering, what's this all about? She seems very cynical. There's just a lot of drinking involved. And they talk a bit about sex, like, but it's just, yeah, but, you know, is there, is there going to be a story? But then you start realizing that behind that facade, facade, it's just a really fragile girl who's lost her mother and who's actually really struggling with becoming friends because she has a friend. But... um she has one childhood friend, but she feels herself becoming more and more distanced to her as she slowly grows into a, let's say, a very well-read woman with, with opinions and, mm. and dreams about going outside the island and actually being quite frightened about marrying and having babies and, yeah, and questioning a lot of things. Now, and she's basically um, <laughs> very typical for the Irish. She's she's even though she's she kind of wants to conserve an atheist she still secretly does believe in in hell and um the virgin mary especially mm-hmm. and i find that very interesting you know like just Pretty from my dad's family yeah. from my dad's family I, I thought it was a very good um it just evoked a lot of james joyce and edna o'brien or iris murdoch um yes I, I thought it was that was very interesting so she's she mainly has the books. She's a big reader, and she loves the, uh, especially the, basically what we now consider American classics, but what for her time were just American contemporary novels: Fitzgerald, Hemingway, yeah. and and she go and she also reads a bit of Virginia Woolf. Um, and it's interesting because they're not at all classics. We forget that they're just considered trash actually by her, by parents and by the people on the island. But this is her basically escape from reality, I should say, 
or her education interfered with reality. And she can only share this with one boy who she grew up with called Teddy. And she kind of um, looks up to Teddy, as, as, is in love with Teddy, but she doesn't really want to admit it because they're such, such friends. And she's trying to discover her sexuality. She's trying to discover men. She's trying to be very elegant. She's trying to live in if a, this kind of jazz life that has long expired. It's not the 20s. It's 1941. Yeah, yeah. And there's a war going on around the world. It's, it's March 1941. So America is not in the war yet. But you do get that tension and you knowing that America will be in the war in December because of Pearl Harbor also is, is very relevant. So it's basically about her, um, her her and Teddy becoming eventually a couple and all the things that that go wrong in between and go wrong afterwards. Basically, Teddy also has lost a brother and where she's lost a mother and both of them are dealing with death in a sense of they're trying to live this this um this life that they've read and want to live and they want to get out of the way from this. I don't want to get away from this repressive culture from the Catholic parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and in her case, only a, a Catholic, a very strict Catholic aunt, actually. And her dad doesn't really care. But her dad doesn't talk to her either, so she feels very lonely. And it's but the, the book is about her talking about it, 1941 in the past. It's set around, it's set around 10 years later, very vague. And it always gives you very vague hints what mm-hmm. happens to her 10 years later, but you're not clear ever, even in the end, what exactly happened to her. Okay. But it um, it just mirrors this um, type of, of story about her maybe losing, losing her mind a bit, um, entering a state of depression as she realizes not only is she losing her childhood's best friend, but she's uh, Lara, She's also losing Teddy, who she thinks is the love of her life. And yes, there is beautiful scenes in it of love and then not falling out of love, but just basically not being strong enough to stay together. They go to different places to study. And the second half of the novel was very much about that. Just kind of her uh, dealing with, with this loss of religion, loss of of friendship, loss of identity. And it's it's a very beautiful book. I, I think it's um I think it's great. As I said, I for me it was difficult to engage with the character beginning, but then you soon realize that there's more to it if you just peel beneath. And I find particularly her thoughts about about sex were very interesting because um, I, I think it also mirrors even even nowadays there's still a confusion around sex, even though there's so much supposed supposed supposedly so much information. Mm, yeah. So um it, it it is very much about sex or the confusion of sex and then ultimately the maybe the disappointments and irrelevance of sex, sure. according to her. So um it's a great book, read recommended. It's 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 a beautiful read. It's very multi-layered with with great character development, and some of the characters you think are very maybe superficial end up being very deep, or the other way around. You do meet some, you do, you do meet a lot of hipster type fellows eventually when she moves to university, and they just end up end up being very hollow, and also just ch- children. It's all about it's all about children wanting to be adults 
and the wars just around the corner and they're just and they they do become adults but at the same time they're just broken children so it it's sounds, uh, uh, it sounds very good pj beautiful it's beautiful the oh, essence oh, of an hour. hold on oh what's this okay i think the uh i think i hear the phone ringing oh so let's pick it up let's pick up and see who we've got on the line Hey, you're through the books, boys. You've got Dean and PJ on the line. Who's calling? Hi, this is Susan Ferber. What? That's a crazy coincidence. Uh, we were just talking about your book. PJ was just <laughs> telling me all about it, so that's that's great timing. Oh, my God. Uh, well, Suzanne, welcome to the show. Um, I, I've got a lot of things to ask you about the book. First of all, I love the book. It's well, really... Yeah, I mean, and it's your first book. Right. Yes. Yeah. Well, it was my yes. first published book. I've been writing. All oh, right. Okay. Well, I've been writing like stories since I was a kid. Um, okay. So when I die, you know, my estate can have that. <laughs> <laughs> and is this your? Is this the first novel you wrote, or was there also? Is there also maybe some unpublished stuff? Um, that should stay unpublished. Yes. Oh, okay. Stay uh, unpublished. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yes. I re- I actually wrote the first draft of this when I was nineteen. Oh. Um, wow, okay. So, yeah, and then it was published um, just last February yes. uh, when I just turned 29. So it was kind of like 10 years in the making. In a way. I was trying to figure out the gap, but also thinking never ask a lady her age. So like some time has passed. I do not know how much. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, the thing is, I know you were born 1992, it says at the, at the back. Oh. And I thought it was very interesting because we we're all 92. We're all 1992, yeah. <laughs> Which is, uh, you know, the cool class, you know, it's the best year, right? And I thought it was very interesting. As well, because I, I also wrote a novel, but um, I haven't published it yet. I just thought it interesting to see a really contemporary author to, to all of us on all of the same year. And I've got a question about that, first of all. So I was just, I was mentioning that the book is set in 1941 to, um, to onwards to the late 40s, but mainly it's set in 1941 and it's upcoming to the Pearl Harbor events in the yes. U.S., and I was just wondering, first of all, so being, you know, born 1992, what exactly um, attracted you to write it in specifically 1941, which isn't, and just before the war, it's kind of, a, at least for Europeans, I feel it's a very gray sort of area. It's like what, what's, a lot of happening in Europe, but what is USA doing, you know, at that time, because it wasn't involved in the war yet. So it starts yeah. up in March 19, 1941, right? Yes, it starts in March 1941 and sort of concludes the main action of the novel mm. in April of 1942. Yeah. And then we do have her reflecting um, about 10 years later. So, you know, late 40s, early 1950s. Yeah. And I suppose why I was drawn to the era is because I've always loved historical fiction or fiction written in a different time period. Um, so it would have been contemporary fiction to them, but historical to us. Okay. And my grandmother, uh, who is probably, you know, she was a few years younger than the main character of Lily Kerrigan, um, <laughs> when she was growing up at that time in the early 40s, but she would tell us lots of stories about that. And so, you know, I, I would always gleam different facts from her childhood and wonder what her world had looked like. And, mm. you know, she and my grandfather would tell us about that, that ingraining of that memory of Pearl Harbor being announced and how they had just come home from, you know, um, mass and how okay. they'd heard that on the radio. And I think those stories infected my childhood and sparked my imagination. So I was always drawn to that time. I also think it is an interesting time historically for women in that it is, a time where women were, a certain class of women, were starting to go to university, 
were allowed to pursue degrees, but were not really allowed to do anything with it afterwards or not anything seriously. They might work for a little bit in marketing or in journalism, but there would come an expiration where they were you know, expected to get married. And I wondered what it would look like for a woman um, who was of Sylvia Plath's generation or Betty Friedan's generation, or even you know, someone like Betty Draper on Mad Men. How did those women become those women in the 1950s? What did their education look like? And what did their childhood look like? Um, what did their sex lives look like? Or, you know, lack of education about sex look like? Mm. Well, that's very interesting. Uh, yeah, I think it's very interesting because she's, obviously Lady Corrigan, she grew up in this uh, Catholic environment, in this kind of conservative, rep- very much repressed Catholic environment. And reminds me a lot of what my dad tells me about his childhoods in Ireland, okay. especially around uh, Eamon de Valera kind of era. Actually, he's not that old, bless him, but I mean, <laughs> his parents and just a kind of uh, that environment of, you know, the, the church had a lot of power and there's a lot of repression. And even I feel the effects of Irish repress, re- repression, honestly, I do, and that guilt. And I find that's very interesting that, that, that she's always guilty, especially when it's related about sex. And also, I suppose um, she's got an obsession with death. She can't get over her mother's death. And I find that's very Irish. So they did a great job there. It feels like a very Irish character. Yes. And I think she is, she is second generation Irish in the novels. She has, um, you know, this, you know, she's Catholic upbringing. And that is in some ways my own upbringing in that I was brought up in a very conservative Catholic household. I went to a very conservative Catholic university and lots of the conversations they have in that book are not that divorced from the conversations Mm. we were having in about 2010, which is alarming. (laughs) Uh, And again, I think that's why I was drawn to the, you know, the past as well as, as thinking, right, I don't think people are going to understand that you know, people are still speaking this way. But if I said yeah. it in the past and then, you know, think, oh, are we still speaking this mm. way and reflecting it? Mm. Um, it might make more of an impact uh, in a certain sense. But certainly the other thing that really came into play was when I was writing the book, the first draft, I had just finished mm. reading The Country Girls by Edna O'Brien. Okay. And I remember reading that and thinking, my God, that's the book I want to write. Yeah. I wish yeah. I wish I could write that sort of book that where she you know mirrors those two friends growing up in such close parallel together and how their stories um, of coming of age impact one another um, and how much authority the church has in their lives at every moment and again reading as I said lots of Victorian literature growing up I was operating in a very Protestant literature world so I didn't know until I read um, Edna O'Brien or James Joyce that one could actually write about Catholicism mm. and make it interesting. And that, that, that loss of faith would be as devastating as, you know, the loss of a lover. Um, so that was, you know, really what I wanted to express in this book as well um, is, you know, that I had found that in other books. And I think, again, having that sort of empowered me to then, you know, question my own religion and my own relationship with it. So I think literature is so important in that way to tell those stories. Wow. Um, funny that you mentioned Edna O'Brien um, because she's a very, uh, she's one of these Irish authors that really talked about sex very openly. I think she started writing about the 60s. I'm not, gonna, I'm not sure. Yes. But I did read one or two books and 
and thinking age 16, oh, wow, I didn't know this. And, you know, we are 1992 kids, but I didn't know about the stuff she was talking about or, yeah, it was still very enlightening, even though she grew up in a time where none of this information age didn't exist. Mm -hmm. So, and James Joyce, and we're just talking, me and Dean, about Iris Murdoch. There is a, there are these these Irish authors, or um, in in Iris Murdoch's case, partially Irish. But just, even if you're just partially Irish, you have this, um, you do follow this tradition of being obsessed with sex because it's so, because so repressed simply. And then it's really nothing that special as kind of Lily Carrigan, she talks about, at the end of the book, she kind of mentions she kind of says, without spoiling, she just kind of points that it's not that important sex, but you kind of make a big deal of it. And she yeah. does make a great deal of it. And the book is very much about her trying to find trying to find some answers about sex and being very confused. And yeah, it's it's uh, in that sense, I find it's a very <clears throat> Irish book, I feel like. So it's well, great. Thank you for that. And that, that's really yeah. nice to hear because as I said, I was so indebted to to Irish literature and writing it and to taking, as I said, sort of Edna O'Brien's story mm. of, you know, going to Dublin in the mm. you know, sort of 1930s, 1940s and thinking about how that would have looked in America. Mm. And again, I love this bit in, in the country girls, there's a really exciting bit where they get on the train to go to Dublin and that's the most exciting thing they've ever done in their lives. <laughs> yeah. um, and I'm from a very small town and I remember that excitement. And it wasn't even going to New York City. I was going to Buffalo, which is not a big city. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the city, you know, closest to where I was from. And I remember that excitement of, you know, getting out of the, the tininess of my little town um, yeah. and seeing that reflected in literature and thinking, right, that's that's me. And it's a very different context. And it's a very different story from my story. And, um, mm. You know, I'm not trying to, you know, sort of appropriate my story or her story or write myself into that but mm-hmm. that that's where reflection of going oh I know that feeling oh. I'm so glad somebody else has expressed that feeling yes uh, and it's interesting that's timeless right so great literature is really timeless and you can relate to you know you can relate to Medea and you can relate to Shakespeare and you can relate to Edna O'Brien or Ulysses and it's all it's all amazing and this love of literature that obviously you have is very much in in Lily and yeah. um, and Teddy. So Teddy is uh, Teddy is basically uh, it's 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 described in the book that she is basically Lily or in man's form, or as uh, Jack says it, he says the other way around that he understands Lily because Lily's just like uh, like Teddy. But so you've got these two people, two um, teen teens yes. uh, who are in love with literature and they're outsiders and they kind of think of themselves. A, a bit you know a bit t- too good for the rest of them because they've got all this literature there and they're i suppose they're they're trying to be cynical but they're not even because they're that innocent really yes. and i find it interesting because in the book at the beginning uh they do seem very much like adults especially teddy because i feel like he's getting this she's making him very mythical Yes. So, um, and I find it interesting what happens at the end. I'm not going to spoil, but I find just re- if you reread the book, it makes very much sense why he's being portrayed in such a mythical figure in this kind of um, using memories. So I like that. But then it becomes clear the more you read that he's just a teenager and that he's just a teenager and they're just kids, not, not even teenagers. And they don't actually know. Yes, and without spoilers, they they don't really become that, let's say, sexually educated. Some other naive 
uh, people in the book that seem naive actually become, actually get, uh, actually, st- you know, m- make love, let's just say. But she uh, she remains a very, uh, not naive, but she remains, well, she remains a virgin throughout uh, yeah. the whole story. Really. It was interesting because she's trying to actually get away from that innocent virgin virgin look. She's trying to become a modern woman and it's sort of, and she's kind of, she doesn't know where she is. She's still got that Catholic, I, I love all that. And I just wanted to ask you, um, so this book, what was the intention of writing this book? Because it feels like a very educative novel for certain people. But I'm just wondering, did you think of a core audience when you were writing this book or of a certain type of person that you want, that you want um, to read this book? So I think with all the references to literature, I think there are two ways to read it. And I suppose my, you know, what I would love for it to serve as is an introduction to, these are lots of great books. Um, I remember reading when I was 12, again, one of the sort of gateways for me into literature was reading Anna Green Gables. Um, And I remember there were so many references to Victorian literature, um, to Tennyson, to Keats and to Shakespeare. And I thought, oh, I want to understand all those references. I want to read all those books. And that really then, you know, kind of kickstarted me going, you know, off and finding that. And so I think the book can be read in two ways. I think it can be read by people who have read, you know, the books and get the, um, get some of the jokes or get some of the references. And sometimes they're very, um, they're very, you know, discreet references. And sometimes they're really (laughs) quite in your face references or it just names the book that she's referencing with the writer. Um, But, you know, you could get those, but equally you could say, right, I haven't read that person or that sounds interesting. I would Mm. like to go and read that. Or um, yeah, that sort of inspiration of, you know, who are, who are Lily's authors? What is forming her worldview? And I was also thinking, you know, while writing it, that everything she has to read has to be accessible to her. So she has to get all of those books. So even something like she does reference Lady Shadowley's Lover, but it can't quite be the right version because that wouldn't have been available to her. Um, You know, how does she get her hands on these? And, you know, people like Fitzgerald and Hemingway, of course, they're modernist literature. We consider them, you know, classics now, but, you know, they were popular novels. She would have mm. access to them. Yeah. The people would treat them as sort of sexy books, but they weren't, she's not reading Henry Miller, for instance, in it. Yes. Or she, she can't was, get, or she can't get a copy of Ulysses, which is a pity, yes. for, but it's just not 1941 time yet. Yes. Um, so I was, I was thinking about that too. And um, again, so I would love, as I said, I would love for people to, to read it and to think, um, as a gateway to sort of more serious um, sort of classic literature, actually. And, you know, obvi- yeah. um, obviously there are echoes of other novels in there too, um, like The Bell Jar or mm-hmm. And No Brand Country Girls or lots of other books that I love from that period, like Mary McCarthy's The Group, which is just mm. fabulous. Um, again, she wrote that, I think, in the 60s, but it's about her time um, at university in the 1930s and what all the okay. women did after they left university. So again there's there's a really there's a real love of other books that right. i think Lily would have been reading at that time in a way um this sounds quite pretentious i suppose but in a way like something like atonement where the character <laughs> Bryony is so you know sort of entrenched in literature and all the other books that are happening around her at that time and one of the things ian McEwen does so brilliantly is to write the book of atonement as Bryony, having g- grown up in that time would have written the book um so i was thinking about things like that too Mm -hmm. wow that's great 
And I do love the fact that um, it makes a lot of reference to books. And yes, you're left, you're left with a, you're left with a list of books you've either haven't read yet and would like to read, or maybe you'd like to rediscover. I mean, I, I'd say like like you, um, I, I, literature really helped me in my life. So I've, I read a lot of those books, but it still makes me want to go back. I would say to some of them because. It was interesting because I thought it was a, a list of books that a very bookish person would read, but up to a certain age. So these yeah. are, I actually read those books up to maybe around 20, I think, yeah. which is just saying yeah. that I think there is, I think there's a reason why she's interested in Fitzgerald and Hemingway and Virginia Woolf at that time. And she mentioned Mrs. Dalloway. I mean, I read that when I was six, eight, no, 18, I think as well. And yeah, it's it's great because it really gets, it, it talks to the that youth that is very bookish and that's still uh, a minority. Nothing has changed really. So it talks to them, say, "Well, get 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 these books if you like." So it's a great um, it's a great homage to that literature. So, so what you're saying, PJ, is this book has got so many book recommendations, people won't even need to listen to the podcast anymore. Just I'm, can, I'm afraid so. They this. can just get <laughs> they can just get the book and get all the references. That's it. And I find interesting that um, she becomes one thing. I find interesting is that. She does become more um, interested in world literature when she enters the outside world of her of, of her little island, because yeah. she starts to read Middlemarch and Madame Bovary, and I just um, I'm not sure if that was in, was that intentional that her, her literature, even though she did read a lot of the now considered classics, it was quite American when mm. she was living in the island, and then it became, and now a lot of Flaubert and uh, George yeah. Eliot. Oh, I like that. I actually didn't think about that. I was thinking, <laughs> oh, right, <okay. laughs> I was thinking more sort of practically um, okay. that she would, those would be the, the more books that she would have read it at university at that time. Mm. Versus okay. the other ones would have been considered more popular literature, not really worthy of great study yet. Right. Okay. Um, okay. So that's what I was thinking more, but obviously most of those books do you know Madame Bovary for instance is about a woman who can never escape the town that she's from yes she yes. constantly wants to get to Paris and she never can so that's part of it and then Anna Karenina is mentioned several times yeah um, with the train journeys and the you know the inability to um, break past your constrictive uh, society as well Yes, and she mentions which one she likes particular, which ones she doesn't like. So she does mention that she she reads Madame Bovary. She can, she really loves it. I also yeah. want to ask you um, something else. There are several descriptions of parties in the yeah. book, and it's there are. Let's be honest, they are not very flattering depictions of parties, <laughs> and they just remind me more when she goes into a party. This is a kind of party I would expect from the year two thousand ten onwards. Um, mm. What exactly was your intention with writing, first of all, so many party scenes that were very disappointing, unflattering, and pretty horrendous in like one or two situations? Yes. And again, I think that was a huge part for me of the novel, that opening scene where she is mm. um, to, to sort of give a trigger warning around it. She is, you mm. know, she is assaulted um, by a young man at a party and it is it sets her up on this journey of remembering of what happened that year. She is in a state of trauma from yes. that and from other events obviously previous to that with the death of her mother and she's trying to connect those traumatic pieces together but she sees that as a real a real sort of start point of her falling apart I think mentally mm, okay um, and so that's interesting to me 
again, it was, again, it was, it was, you know, part of my own experience of having been at a very Catholic university um, that we would go out on Saturday night and we would have these weird parties. And then the next day, everybody would be at mass hugging each other. And I would think Mm. that's not okay. You, you know, were awful to me yesterday. You were predatory. And now you think you can hug me at the sign of peace that I I just didn't understand that this mind frame of young men um, Mm -hmm. in that atmosphere. And so I tried to imagine how that would have been at the time in the 1940s, a time where, you know, I think what happens to her even now, I think some people would say, oh, it's not that bad. It's not, you know, it's not the worst uh-huh. thing that could happen. Um, and certainly in that time period, I think people would have been very dismissive of what happens to her. And I was trying to understand how that would have worked, um, you know, that, that sort of parallel between now and then. But some of the other parties as well were, again, I think making fun of a bit. Um, if we're all 1992, we remember the height of the hipster culture. Uh-huh. And of course, yes. the 1940s had the similar culture of Bohemia and the beginning of the beats. And you do read, I read novels where they, they do make fun of that sort of scene, where that scene is sort of happening, um, of this potential of people reading too much right. novels, but not really understanding you know what the novel's about they just it's like when people read the great gatsby right. and you're like oh i want to go to a gatsby party and you're like do you really um so i was trying to capture that as well um oh. so yes yeah, so i think part of it is again that sort of how do we find ourselves and locate ourselves in a book from the past yeah. and what yeah. scary revelations can we find about our own society within a book set in the past and say we've moved on so far or women have moved on so far and yet women have not moved on and our society has not moved on um, in some ways. I think um, um, perhaps a very slight spoiler here, but I think one very shocking aspect is that at the beginning she, um, well, it's right at the beginning. She, the, right. She has um, a sexual encounter that she's not enjoying at all. And, and the drunk man says that he will, well, he will rape her. Yeah. Uh, but um, this slight spoiler, I find it very interesting that she makes it sound very, what's the word? She tries to make it sound less worse than it is at the beginning. And only as you read the novel, when she comes back to it, because there was an ellipsis, I thought I thought it was just a drunk guy falling asleep. But then it's just, you realize as you read the novel, when she goes back, she just didn't mention it. So she's an unreliable um, narrator, and I like that. And it just and and it doesn't matter if you mention it or not. It also questions the reader. Well, it doesn't matter if you didn't if you didn't mention it. You should still not correct. So there's this whole kind of politics of um, of of basically this machismo culture, and it's still relevant. And it was then. And this confusion I find was what is okay, what's not okay. It's not okay. But even women sometimes I feel try to try to make try to belittle it I feel yes you 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 sort of pass it off because I think sometimes um when you know I think we we live in a better world now to some extent than we did even 10 years ago Mm. on lots of these issues um Mm -hmm. where you know people talk about them more openly and it is the of course we have the me too movement where you know that's Mm. quite um public but you know even as just speaking with friends and you saying oh yes, I've had that experience as well. Yeah. And you, you feeling validated by thinking, oh, okay, it wasn't just me. And this is a character 
who mm-hmm. continually is trying to tell people about what happened to her and nobody really seems to want to listen. They either say, oh, well, no, that's fine, you know, whatever, or they're so far removed. Um, they're actually more naive than she is, so they can't really understand it either. And even the girlfriends who are being dismissive, you yeah. do have to wonder, are they being dismissive because they don't want to reinvite their own memories of what's happened to them? I mean, what what has happened to them that they, they have that attitude? So um, I do think that that was, you know, it's very much a part of my experience. I think it's, you know, troublingly too much, you know, part of many people's experiences. Yes, yes. Um, but somebody like Lily, what she needs is somebody to say, look, yeah, no, I understand. But nobody ever does that to her. So she she's completely insular about it and cannot yeah. can't formulate where she puts it in her narrative. And I think that is why she keeps revisiting it and keeps remembering it in different ways and keeps, you know, sort of eking out different details about it because she is uncomfortable with the fact that this has happened to her. She is uncomfortable that somebody has come in and taken her her narrative from her, um, yes. has taken her free will from her. Yeah. And she, you know, there's other things that happen in the book as well, where it feels like, for me, Lily as a character is somebody who sees herself as a heroine, who Mm -hmm. sees herself as a a woman of action. Um, But ultimately, she really does nothing in the novel. Everything (laughs) kind of happens to her. And she doesn't like that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I didn't think about that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's she, because, yeah, she doesn't really um she doesn't she has a lot of dreams but she doesn't really fulfill fulfill them in the dream she kind of just lets things happen and she drowns herself in in, an alcohol self-pity and kind of morbid thoughts about death um but i find it interesting because i have to say i didn't find her very likable at the beginning it took me it took me a while but i uh, i think it's a good character because she seems very cynical as i said very um mean actually at the beginning but then if you just peel the layers one after the other you just find it's just a little girl who's afraid and all she really wants from teddy is a hug and all she wants from best friend laura is to be understood and she doesn't really get any of that properly she doesn't get understood she doesn't get the connection she wants with teddy really um i have i have one last question um um, teddy um, being also uh, fond of literature, I feel like he tries to imitate that Hemingway figure. He tries to imitate a bit of Fitzgerald. Yes. Um, what um, what was your inspiration of Teddy? What kind of, if I may ask, was it? Um, is it someone? Is he supposed to be a collage of of male figures you've read about, or do you feel like there are many Teddies out there who want to be this heroic figure and are just teens inside? I think it's kind of both in a way. I think he is an homage to, um, well, his name, for instance, is supposed to be Little Women, uh, the character of Lori, and he's quite like Lori. Uh, and, you know, obviously Lily sees herself as Joe, and Lori's other name is Teddy. So that, that's how he gets his name. Um, but, you know, he is, again, it's supposed to be how do we see him? She reads him as a literary character. Mm-hmm. And I think he he likes that. He likes that she sees him as this sort of Hemingway-esque um, meets, you know, you know, sort of Bronte-esque, you know, hero. <laughs> he, he yeah. likes that she has that idea of him. Um, so I think he sort of feeds into it. But I think that there are there are young men that I've encountered who are are like him, I suppose, mm. in many ways, where they are um, 
and I think the most damning thing that's said about Teddy is where she she does sort of have realizations about him every once in a while. Yes. And I think, again, that's sort of the older voice coming in and thinking, you know, who was this boy? And she sees him as somebody who is immensely talented, who mm -hmm. could be a writer if he wanted to be, who could be a very good writer, but actually, frankly, doesn't want to do any work and will probably piss away his talent through drinking. And she she gets that's who he is. And I think that there are, again, even people like Hemingway and Fitzgerald, you could argue, yes, they wrote great novels, but they may have been able to write, you know, more great novels if they hadn't yeah. had deteriorated their careers. Um, and there, you know, certainly are young men I've met who, yeah, they want the lifestyle of being a writer. They want to have that, you know, heroicness about them, but they don't want to do the work yeah. that goes into being a writer um and that's a very big difference and I think that is something that Lily and he have not in common that Lily I think mm -hmm. is actually for as romantic as she is for as obsessive as she is about the past and about death and how she can sort of go into languors of morbidity she ultimately will you know at the very end of the novel she ultimately gets up and she gets on with her day that's what she always does mm -hmm. she is she is actually somebody who is you know, perhaps their own detriment at times that she keeps on going, <laughs> yeah. but she does keep on going. And Teddy doesn't really seem to be able to do that. Wow. Well, let me ask you one or two quick questions before we wrap up, because we're almost out of time on the episode. Um, you, did you re I heard the rumor essentially that you relocated because of your, your love for literature. So tell me a little bit yes. about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. So um, I grew up really loving English literature, especially Jane Austen, um, the Bronte sisters and mm -hmm. Thomas Hardy. So I remember reading Tess of the D'Urbervilles and then Far From the Madding Crowd and being, you know, I just had to see these, these places because he evokes landscape um, in such a way that you, you, you have to see it to experience it or the bit in Jude, the obscure where Jude sees, you know, the, the panoply before him of mm -hmm. England. Uh, so that's, that's kind of when I had the opportunity when I was in America to study for a year in England. I had never been abroad in my life. Um, I barely left where I was from. So again, that's, that, that is an autobiographical feature, I suppose, in the book um, in many ways. And yes, yeah, so I, I came over and then I met an Englishman and I have stayed ever since. I've been here nine, no, 10 years this year, 10 years this September, a long time. Wow. wow. Um, Go ahead, Suzanne, I just have, I'd just like to ask a question. Um, yes. If you could recommend, I'd, lo I'd love you to, from all the books, and maybe the and also the books you haven't mentioned post nineteen forty one, which three books would you recommend for someone desperately hungry for literature, having lived in Mars all his or her life? What three books would you find the most relevant in literature? Oh, out the top of your head. That's a really difficult question, especially off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there, there are lots of them. I would say I always go back to Brideshead Revisited, um, but you um, oh, it's one of my favorite novels. It's yes. Oh, it's just very, gorgeous. I do find there are some similar themes with Catholic repression and during the uh, Second World War. Okay. Brides are revisited I, I, I by love it. I love it thematically, but it's also just the milkiness of the prose. Just yes, yeah, you read it and it washes over you. And then you think, oh yes, that is that is amazing that he did that, th those sentences. And you, you almost you almost beautiful. start to take for granted how how good it is. Um another book that I think very much does that for me is Another Country by James Baldwin. Uh, okay. Again, it is, you know, oh. quite Henry James and it's sort of prose oh. and it's style set in the late 1950s in New York. Okay. Um, but it is, you know, it could be set today. 
uh, with its with its you know modernity um, and what you know Baldwin has to say about America and race relations and sexuality. Yeah. Um, it's an incredible, incredible book. Any, anybody who's not read Baldwin yet, I envy them mm-hmm. because they have that to come to still. Okay. Uh, oh gosh, and a third wow. one. Last one, yeah. Oh gosh, what am I going to pick? Um, oh dear, sorry, bear with me because I'm trying to think of things that people may not just like pick up naturally. So I'm not going to say it's Jane just on top of your, on top of your heart. <laughs> <laughs> um, as I said, I really, really recommend the group by Mary McCarthy. I think it is okay. a, a wonderful book. Um, not enough people have heard of Mary McCarthy. She was a celebrated American writer in sort of the mid-century. Um, and she wrote this book about young women, as I said, going to university and then what happens to them in New York? Are they the bright young things that they were supposed to be? Mm-hmm. And they all have these series of events of disillusionment. It's a very funny book. It's a very acidic book. Um, okay. And if you like, if you like books about New York and um, you know, sort of dark comedy it's all there uh but it's also a really really great fantastic story what's her name right. a woman who wrote sex in the city really likes it as well <laughs> oh really oh my god okay well out of those books or any other book the final question we ask everyone we're almost out of time but if you could have written one book what would it have been Oh, that's a fantastic book question. I have a very specific answer. Um, it's a book by an author called Rosamond Lehman. Um, it was her first novel, Dusty Answer. And again, it's a bit like Brideshead. It's set in Cambridge, written in the 1920s. Um, and like Brideshead, there is this homoerotic um, element to it, uh, except it's with a, another woman. And it's just a really, really beautiful coming of age story that I don't think enough people have read. Okay. I don't think people, enough people know about Rosamond Lehman and I read it and I think like, my God, if I, I think there's some books you read and you think I would have loved to have written that, but I just what? don't simply have the talent. Like I'd love to have written Ulysses, <laughs> but I couldn't have written Ulysses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I read that oh, book God. and I think, I wish I had just a smidge more talent who could have written that book because it's so, it's so in my style. It's so, I love everything about it. And now for the most, for the most important question of all, where can people go to get your book? Oh, yes. So they can get my book at any place where good books are sold. I know that's the usual line. Um, so it's obviously available from Waterstones, Foils, etc., Blackwells, um, or you can go to valleypress.co.uk um, and order through them. If you sign up for the newsletter, I always know you get a 10% discount. Um, and it's a small price. So um, direct orders, I think, always do help. Okay, awesome. Well, Susan, thank you very, very much for joining us. It's a beautiful book cover, by the way. Thank, and uh, The Essence of an Hour is uh, its a beautiful book. Thanks for the copy as well. Uh, Thank you so much for reading it. And PG, oh, you've got to lend me that one when I when I visit you next yes. month. This month. Indeed, yes. Mm. Indeed. Okay, well, thank you very much. We really thank enjoyed you having so you on. Have a nice evening. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Awesome. Well, unexpected as always. We have a lot of unexpected uh, call-ins. It's, who always it's quite a coincidence. Just, just perfectly. It's quite a coincidence, guys. And again, get it. The Essence of an Hour by Susan Ferber. Um, you can get it online under valleypressuk.com and it's uh, for £12.99 but I believe you do get a discount as was mentioned earlier. Please get it. Yeah. So We're going to take a 90-second break just to hear an ad for two other great podcasts on the TNC network, and then we'll be back with our recommendations. Hi, we're the Curiosity of a Child podcast. I'm Anton, the son. Age 10, and I'm the daddy. (laughs) I'm the daddy. I'm the daddy. (laughs) 
It's just for your waterfalls of ten. And we're curious about, well... Everything. The more you look at the world, the more you understand, and then the more you will see. We're a podcast about history, science, storytelling, and... The curiosity of a child. We like to dig into different topics, everything from the humble ox... They've been really important for the development of mankind, and in that episode I had to learn about castration. Sorry about that. (laughs) Two, the most popular Christmas toys of yesteryear. We don't just talk, though. We like to experience. That might mean recording on location in a 5,000-year-old dolmen full of spiders and reportedly the entrance to the fairy realm. Or simply tasting spices from across the world to uncover where they came from, how the trade affected people's lives, and how they were used. So, please listen to the... Curiosity of a Child dun dun. Podcast. Goddamn liberals listen to these podcasts of political authors, politicians, and more. And in my book, he never accepts any election results. True. Um, it's funny that um, because Richard Nixon was in favor of universal basic income, and uh, but his uh, people in his office said, uh, you can't be for that. That's, that's uh, going to be called Medicare for All, and it's going to uh, ruin your, your presidency. We're Southern born and raised liberal. We are goddamn liberals, and we have a podcast to talk about it. Join us sometime as we try like hell to keep Georgia blue. Go to gdliberals.com or find us on your favorite platform. Okay, PJ, do you have a recommendation ready, or would you like me to go first? I do indeed. Um, we're talking about Paulo Coelho earlier. I was. And I mentioned The Alchemist, so it's got to be mentioned one more time. Please read The Alchemist. It's a great book for self-discovery. Um, actually, a lot of musicians, for some reason, seem to love this one. I've, I've, mm-hmm. I've read and actually talked to musicians, and they seem to think it's their favorite book ever. Um, wow. It's, so it's really good. Give it a try. Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. Okay. Mine is Brother in the Land by Robert Swindles. That's uh, an English book from 1984. Um, and yeah, it's for teens. Like I read it when I was you know, 12 or 13. I think it's a little longer than a novella, really. Maybe you know, 100, 150 pages, something like that. But um, I don't remember a massive amount about it. But I really remember being impacted by it at that age because it deals with, with, with concepts like war and, in fact, you ever played you know like the fallout games it's kind of this like nuclear war has devastated the country mm. kind of vibe and brother in the land is because you're you're, you're burying your your brothers in the land effectively mm, you know yes. but it but the the, the, the the protagonists are all teens and they're dealing with these difficult themes and it was one of the earliest kind of times that i had read something that that dealt with those kind of themes so um that's what oh. i'm going to recommend for any kind of for any younger uh, teens like that well Sounds really sounds really interesting. And my biggest recommendation of all is that everyone go to patreon.com slash booksboys and get all our extra shows. Get the Books Boys early, get the Playboys, the Dark Players Dreamers, <laughs> Poetry Pals, Caper Captains, Renaissance Renaissance, Games Guys, Music Men, and any other thing you can think of that has alliteration. Forensic Friends, Film Fellows, it's all there. Awesome, guys. Um, I think that's pretty much it. If you like, uh, if you like us, go to booksboys.com. You'll find links on there to um, all the different places you can listen to the show, to our social media, Instagram, TikTok, and all the rest of it. Um, some of our music on Spotify. So there's a whole lot of different things on there. Um, 
I think that's that's more or less it. But PJ, in terms of a song to close, well, I, I used one of mine last time, so it's your turn. And I, I dug through the archives and I have, I've come up with two of your songs and I was going to let you choose which one you'd like to close with. That's um, One is The Hump. Mm-hmm. And the other is an unnamed, but it's one of the nice little funky numbers that you did with Vincent up in uh, Grand Canaria last Christmas. So I wonder which of those you think is more, more suitable to close with. Uh, I, I think Ove was the first one. Okay. That's a, that's a nice one. I think Sean O'Casey, well, I'd like to think, I would like to think Sean O'Casey might appreciate that one. It's slightly more political, actually. So there you go. Okay. We'll, we'll close with the hump. So if the DJ would spin that record. And we, I always say the DJ and people do not know. It's just Alfred. There's no extra, there's no oh, extra Alfred, DJ. Yeah. We're not paying well, any other additional well, DJ, DJs. DJ you know? Alfred's. <laughs> it's just Alfred, you know. That's all he gets paid the big bucks to do. Um, oh, yeah. Gets, he's getting all my salary. I have to have, <laughs> I have, to have a discussion with him about that. Yeah. And guys, we'll be back in about a month. All right, guys. See us.
Some call me Messiah, some call me Sir Iris, some call me Donald some call me the greatest foe, some call me President, some call me Lepin, some call me Daffodil. Some call me a baddie, some call me a fatty, but I tell you, you're the saddest, so come on, simply baddie. Come with the rum, some call me the thumb. But I've got the COVID now too. Got the terrible bedroom. No, 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 for this time I've got the phone, I've got the internet, a Fox News, Jeff Bezos, Alaska, all the machine that creates green cards, Putin. Personal collection of Dostoevsky. I own the woman and the children. I own imagination, immigration, immigrants, immigrants. I own Hollywood. I own a beach bomb. Samba Saint Francis of Assisi. Got the COVID-19 Got the COVID-19 Some call me Messiah Some call me Some call me the president Some call me a daffodil Got fuel in my box and it's a present. Cause no one has given me the love. I lost my way to recently. I lost my woman and my children deep inside of my mind. Is a tower of darkness, and I need my princess to save me out of here and buy my creatures that you should forgive. By my preachers that you should forgive By my teacher that you've got to forgive We've got the COVID-19 got the COVID-19 And the Tower of Babel Well just call me the rum Cause I'm such fun
Boys was presented by The Dean and PJ Burke in association with Thaddeus Penguin Productions. Ah. This episode was brought to you by our sponsor, The Slang vs. Poetry Card Game. If you would like to get in touch, you can email us at booksboys at hotmail.com or visit us at booksboys.com. The intro uses Driving in the 70s from the Of Soundtracks and Garage Bands EP by Trapdoor. And the outro uses Dog's Light by Bravo Max from the album of the same name. All music used is either podsafe or used with permission. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash booksboys, get the show early, and all of our bonus booth Fan the Boys shows and you can also check out our music on Spotify or Apple Music. Thank you kindly for listening to us. Please tell your friends, and come back next time for another episode of Books Boys. Read some books! So PJ, when Susan Ferber went to visit um, where the Brontes would have been, where Withering Heights would have taken place, she was having a lovely time until they told her, you know, it's time for the uh, ghost hunt to start now. <laughs> Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.